Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Avinu, uh, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy on us. Thank you for your atonement through Yeshua the Messiah. We pray that your word would go forth to encourage your people. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's have some story time, if possible. The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Once there was a tree, and she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide and go seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree very much. And the tree was happy. But time went by. And the boy grew older. And the tree was often alone. Then one day the boy came to the tree and the tree said, come boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in my shade and, and be happy. I am too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. Can you give me some money? I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I only have leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you will have money and then you will be happy. So the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away, and the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time, and the tree was sad. Then one day the boy came back, and the tree shook with joy. She said, come boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife and I want children, and so I need a house. Can you give me a house? Well, I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house, but you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you will be happy. I don't think that's the next part of the story. Adonai Elohim does not enter at this point. All right. Thanks, Robert. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. When he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered, come and play. 
I'm too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. So the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy, but not really. And after a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I am too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. I'm sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down, sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. The end. Shel Silverstein, the author of this book, was a troubled individual who had a difficult life. I grew up reading this book, and it captured something in my imagination. However, this book has many critics. It's a controversial book. What is the lesson in it, if any? The question I have in my mind after reading the book is this. Is the tree characterized by humiliation or humility. Both of these words have the same root, but they mean two different things. Can the God of gods and the Lord of lords also be humble? Do we dare to speak of the humility of God? How about the humiliation of God? Today, this day of atonement, we dare to speak of this. In the garden, when we ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, we chose to try to be like God in the worst way. We chose to reject the kingship and leadership of God. We allowed sin and death and disease and suffering into God's good world. We were naked, and suddenly we were aware that we were naked. We ourselves were humiliated, hiding from the goodness of God. And when the consequences of our actions was brought to the surface, God's first action after that was this. Adonai Elohim made Adam and his wife tunics of skin, and he clothed them. Where did the skins come from? An animal one of God's own animals that he gave up so that we wouldn't be humiliated beyond what we could bear. Since we were now aware of our nakedness, God covered us with clothing that he himself made. Think about that for a moment. God served us. We were the ones who turned away. And God gave us out of his own creation, he sacrificed from his own flock to clothe us, to cover us. The one who created everything, 
became the one who served us who turned away to his own hurt. After Genesis 3, humanity devolved into more and more violence and greed and selfishness and pride until the point of no return where the only option was a worldwide cleansing and unleashing of the waters of chaos in the days of Noah. Here's how the narrative describes the Lord's thinking just before this. Then Adonai saw that the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil all the time. So Adonai regretted that he made humankind on the earth, and his heart was deeply pained. Can the Lord of all creation experience regret? The word for regret here is naham, which is an interesting word. The range of meaning in the dictionary is this. It's to be sorry, to console oneself, to repent, regret, comfort, or be comforted. It's related to the word for comfort. Nachamu, nachamu, as I like to say, right? Comfort, comfort, my people. The Bible dictionary also says that this word is an onomatopoeia. Do you know what that is? It's a word that represents a sound, the sound of breathing, the sound of a sigh. Let's all take a deep breath and say, Naham, together, like a sigh. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Naham. In other words, God looked at the evil in Noah's generation and just, just sighed. Our evil choices made God sigh grieve and moan. He is God most high, and yet he is grieved by our terrible choices to hurt others. God is the king above all kings, and yet at the same time, when we hurt, he hurts. The Jewish sages say our lowest moment, just about equivalent to the rebellion in the garden, was when we formed the golden calf. Remember this blunder of blunders? Moses was up there on the mountain getting the ketubah, the marriage contract signed between Israel and God, which is the Torah. And then I guess we were wondering where Moses was for so long. So Aaron helped us make a cow out of gold and proclaim that this was the God that brought us out of slavery. This is like... This is like cheating on your spouse during your honeymoon. We married God with the Torah as our ketubah and immediately committed adultery. Now God is present on the heights of the mountain with Moses, speaking to him face to face. So what does God do? What is God's response to this? He tells Moses to select artists to begin building a tabernacle. Why? So that God can descend so that God can come down and dwell among his people. His response to our adultery and unfaithfulness is to come down and be with us. Yeshua reminds us in Matthew 5, 45, that the rain falls on the good people and the wicked people. The rain, the water that the ancient people needed so they could eat food and live, God gives it to everyone. 
Those who spit in his face, he gives life. Those who mock him and worship other gods, he holds their breath in his hands and sustains them moment to moment. The rabbis remind us, earthly kings give gifts as long as the subjects are loyal. Could you imagine if God were the same way? I don't think we would make it. The summer after I stopped teaching elementary school and started working full-time at our synagogue, I went to my cousin's wedding in California. There I met a lot of Jewish people that I didn't know beforehand, and I was not prepared to explain the shift that had taken place in my life. When you meet someone for the first time, what do they ask you? So, what's your name? David. And then the next most frequent question is what? So, what do you do for a living? Uh, before I could say, well, I'm a, I'm a Spanish teacher in an elementary school, and we would carry on from there. It'd be quite pleasant. But for the first time, I was forced to enter into a conversation about my faith much earlier than I previously had to. So what do you do for a living? Uh, well, I'm kind of like a rabbi. This was a new level of awkwardness. I hadn't experienced since my adolescence. The first question would often lead to the next logical question. Oh, what denomination? Well, it's kind of different. You're not one of those Jews for Jesus, are you? In the words of the inimitable DC talk, what will people say when they hear that I'm Jesus freak? What if people find out it's true? Oh, oh, oh. Wayne knows what I'm talking about. Who's down with the DC talk? No? All right. Okay, good. I'm not alone here. Whew. I was, I was nervous about that one. Not only was I self-conscious about my Yeshua faith, I was self-conscious about my almost status. I had not yet fulfilled all the course requirements to receive ordination as a rabbi. I wasn't even officially the congregational leader at the time. Like Pinocchio, I thought, someday I'll be a real boy. <laughs> so I processed this discomfort with my mentors, and one of them suggested, rather than saying I'm some kind of rabbi or congregational leader or even a student rabbi, to say that I'm studying to be a rabbi. This approach, because it's humbler, it's an easier ramp to the conversation. I wasn't yet ordained. Why not see that as an advantage? I could broker my own marginal status to explain what being a Messianic Jew was. Before, there was fear of rejection and trepidation about my marginal status as a Messianic Jew and as a rabbinic student. But now I was entering into the conversation as a learner. We don't have to be ashamed of following Yeshua to be humble. We don't have to be ashamed of not being great. Yeshua encouraged his followers to not have people call them rabbi, which means teacher. But the root of the word rabbi is rav, means great. We don't have to tell others we're great. We don't have to tell others we're lowly worms. Humility, true humility, strikes the right balance between the two. Humility doesn't mean putting yourself down. 
It means accepting your own marginal status. As another mentor of mine taught me, it means taking up the right amount of space in social situations. Genuine humility releases shame and puts others at ease, which can go a long way in the Jewish community. Occasionally, it also leads to opportunities to, as it says in 1 Peter 3, give a reasoned answer to anyone who asks me for, to explain the hope that I have in me, yet with humility and fear, which is a great gospeling verse. This week's Haftarah portion zeroes in on this quality of God, the humility of God. In Isaiah 57, 15, we read this. For thus says the high and exalted one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Let's read the next one together. I dwell in a high and holy place, yet also with a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite. Here is another rabbi processing this idea in the Talmud and linking a few scriptures together. This is what it says. Rabbi Jochanan said, Whenever you find in the scripture a description of the greatness of the Holy One, praised be he, you also find a description of his modesty. This is written in the Torah, repeated in the prophets, and mentioned a third time in the writings. In the Torah it is written, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, and immediately follows, who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. It is repeated in the prophets, which is our Haftorah portion. Thus saith, thus hath said the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And after this it is written, yet also with the contrite and humble in spirit. The third time in the writings, extol him who rides upon the heavens, everlasting is his name. And after this it is written, a father of the fatherless and judge of the widows. God, the high, exalted, lofty one, lowers himself. He dwells with the poor and the hurting and the lowly. He blesses with sustenance, with food, the good and the evil. He linked his own identity to a wayward people so that he would be known as the God of Israel, even though Israel constantly ruined his reputation. How humiliating. On Yom Kippur, we recognize that in order to make atonement for us, to forgive us, God had to descend. He had to meet us where we are. He had to sacrifice from himself, as he did when he covered us with the animal skins. He had to descend the mountain high, as he did when we created the golden calf. He had to come down, he had to limit himself, hold himself back, humble himself, so that we, so that we could be raised up. Bags of dirt. The God of all creation, he gives, he serves, he protects, and he rescues. God descended to a human level in Messiah for our atonement. He descended, he came down and humbled himself even to death on the cross so that we could be right with him. He traded his high status 
to be humiliated, to be humiliated on the tree. Remember, he was naked like Adam. When we see paintings of the crucifixion, you usually don't see that. But that's what the scripture says. They traded his clothes. He was naked. He was rejected by his friends, like Moses and Joseph. He was beaten and bruised and scorned, like Job. He gave up everything for us sinners. The idea of the incarnation of God and Messiah, it's not just a Christian idea. It was and is a Jewish idea. As we have seen, it speaks of the humility of God. Here is a a great summary of the gospel, the Yeshua story. Paul writes this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Messiah Yeshua. Let's read it together. Who, though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue profess that Yeshua the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, We are made in the image of God. If he is humble, how much more, how much, so much more should we be humble? Bags of dirt. Obviously, we're not God. We're only human. If you've ever been to a celebration with music, at one point, the singer of the song will inevitably ask this question, The same question that God is asking us today. How low can you go? Can we serve and bless someone who has hurt us? God does it every day, all day. Can we admit our faults, our sins, our shortcomings before the holy and perfect one? Can we take up the right amount of space? Can we be conformed to the image of God today and try to help make others great, help make others shine, help others to know that they are loved. Can we say to God, along with the psalmist in chapter 18, verse 36, your humility has made me great. Let's pray. Avinu, you are high and lifted up. You work wonders for us. You saved us from our sins by trusting, by our allegiance to Yeshua the Messiah. And you are bringing your kingdom onto the earth. And this is not something that we deserve. And we get to meet before you today as our king. And you're a king, you're a humble king. And that's, it's, it's strange to say that about you because you are the Lord of Lords. But you came down, and you taught us, and you were patient with us, and you gave 
even to your own hurt so that we could be with you, so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could be raised up even. So we thank you, Lord, for what you are doing on your day of atonement. And we pray you, you help us to remain humble because you are humble. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.